I think we can probably go ahead. I mean, you just sound... I'll explain about the technical problems. Okay. Unfortunately, we can't see each other, I'm very sorry to say, but... Um, okay, yeah. Hello and welcome to Roast Tinted Black and White Television. Due to some shenanigans with Zoom, we have had problems making this as seamless and expert as and high quality as people might have come to expect so dave is on my speakerphone <laughs> and is doing sterling things have you finished your ironing dave i have finished my ironing and i just need to check because we're doing this different do i need to say over at the end of every sentence <laughs> quite possibly we'll see how we get on okay over <laughs> Yes, I'm Guy Morgan. As always, my co-host is David Newell. And this has slightly dampened the very splendid occasion of farewell to the black and white saints because we have the last three to review um, and then also try and work out where on earth do we go from here? But there are other things. Legend has been playing all of The Prisoner and I got all that stacked up on my personal video recorder and uh, we'll be going through that. The thing about The Prisoner is that it is a mystery wrapped up in an enigma. Countless shows, documentaries have been made about it and still come to no firm conclusion as far as I can establish. There is also Randall and Hopkirk on Great TV. We will soldier on because you're an extremely busy man and I'm taking up some of your Sunday and I don't wish to disrupt your schedule, particularly when the Community Shield is on. Community Shield, yes. Arsenal playing uh, Manchester City only because the traditional game of the FA Cup winners playing the uh, Premiership champions would involve Manchester City playing Manchester City. Or their reserves. <laughs> yes. Then they'd see how they get on. Right. When's the kickoff? Eight minutes ago. Oh, right. So you're, you're not necessarily glued to the television. Don't forget, I do have my curse of when I watch Arsenal live and they do seem to lose. I went through a big succession of either watching sometimes live games on TV or even going to, to games, and it took me years before I saw them win. In fact, once when they only lost two games, I was at both. <laughs> yes, I think it may be a wise choice from uh, Mikel Arteta's point of view. So, it's taken 18 months, and it has been the spine of our show so far, but the Black and White series of Roger Moore's Saints has finally come to a conclusion, though the Thursday nights still lag behind and they're about to start Series 4. We have some quite jolly ones, including the Saint Bids Diamonds. Now, there are some tropes here. The Saint goes undercover again with nothing to protect him but an accent. Uh, this time he's not an expert safe cracker, but an expert gem cutter, though he's a bit hazy on the details. Dave, can you explain what's going on here? Uh, well, our setting is um, Tenerife, or Tenerife, because it's spelled with two Fs in the credit for this introduction of the episode, is he's described as the fabulous Simon Templar. And he finds himself um, on Tenerife um, at the same time as Abdul Grammar, who has stolen the Regency diamond from Paris and is hiding out, hoping that um, his captured 
diamond cutter will be able to render it down to its component parts. But he's not that happy with with the way this diamond cutter, who looks frightfully nervous and looks like he may have a bit of a drink problem, and at one point threatens and berates him by saying that he couldn't cut cheese. But for those of you with a good slang knowledge, the expression cutting the cheese might be a good thing for those um, American and Canadian um, listeners. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, this, this diamond expert is threatened, and what they decide to do is to, to bring in perhaps someone from the outside, someone, someone who's even better. And what they decide to do is send for um, the well-known George Felson. Um, and it's at this point that the, that the plot kicks into gear, because it's proposed that maybe the same poses as, as George Felson to round up the gang and also return the diamond to its rightful owners. And I should point out that the villain in this, um, Abdul, uh, is, is a very reckless individual. He does target shooting on his patio. He shoots at glasses and other bits of crockery, um, which are thrown up in the air, but they're only a couple of yards away. And it looks so dangerous those shards could go anywhere and so what we then have is ed bishop is apprehended at the airport and roger takes his place like you said he adopts an american accent he's got a great passport photo um, to go to go with it and um, he's had a very quick briefing on how to talk about things relating to diamonds and diamond cutting um, so he's able to drop in a few phrases. It has to be said that Ed Bishop's character doesn't do this willingly, and there's some um, quite menacing threat of torture from the saint. Uh, there is, yes, there is the threat of hot scissors. Um, I mean, scissors, are, you know, are bad at the, the best of times, but hot scissors, which does sound like a stylish barber's, um, sounds <laughs> even more menacing. Yeah, I mean, it ruins Ed Bishop's tie. Mm, and the idea being is he, he tells him, right, you're going to tell me everything you know about diamond cutting, which which doesn't seem to take long because there is a time scale um, involved to all of this. Um, as I mentioned, there is a gang. There are a couple of other uh, villains, Palermo and Van Linden, who are um, the, the chief villain um, henchmen. And I must admit, I'm, I'm looking at my, my record card, one that I keep for each episode, and I ran out of space to write down the number of times Palermo and Van Linden get knocked out by Roger. It must be in the high double figures. They spend most of their roles flat on the ground, recovering. Um, he does have some help, because uh, there's the lovely Christine Grainer, um, played by Miss Grayson. Yeah, it, it rattles um, along at a very fast pace. There's some familiar faces uh, in terms of um, law enforcement. And I know you said um, like tropes as such, but this is one of a, of a sequence of Saints episodes um, in which it's involving either a big jewel or a lot of jewels. Yes, indeed. There's quite a few tropes here. The Saint has an accent, he's impersonating somebody, there's a safe, which is booby-trapped, mm -hmm. and there is not one, but two switcheroos. Charles, it might interest you to know that I have been employed by the curators of the Louvre to return the Regency diamond to France uncut. Now give. Simon, is this some sort of joke? Not on me, the diamond engraved in the safe is a fake. Impossible. 
A beautifully done replica. Flawlessly cut glass, and only you could have done it. Now, come on. It's beautiful. Well, now, that leaves just you and I and the Regency Diamond. Hmm? What do you mean? You gave Captain Garcia the fake Regency. Well, I certainly didn't. Oh, come on, my dear. I play this game too often. Hand it over. Well, it was a good try. Yes, and you might have got away with it, except for one thing. Oh, what was that? It just wasn't written in your stars. Yes, it's no good having just one switcheroo. You have to have um, several. Yeah, get your money's worth. There is a colour version where I just lost track, and I think everyone else did, about which jewels were real and which weren't. There's a lot of toing and throwing. The saint has a friend who is a woman who believes in horoscopes and tells fortunes and has a very handy cellar where they keep Ed Bishop. And yes, I am not sure that Ed Bishop's character ever gets out of that cellar. I mean, he's apprehended, but we never see him kind of like turn over to the authorities. It's just a case of, um, hey, wasn't there someone else that we kidnapped to pull off this coup? Oh, I can't remember. Um, you would have thought Madame Calliope would have saw, um, you know, read it in the stars um, as such, because she does um, seem to give In the end, it's all smiles again. I should point out that uh, for people who might think they've seen Mrs. Rayner before, she's the person who, in Doctor No, asks Sean Connery's character's name, Bond, James Bond. And in fact, I think she's possibly wearing the same dress and definitely the same hairstyle. idea being is that in the early Bond, she was going to be a regular character who is on a date or, or a liaison with James Bond, but then he gets called away on a deadly mission, and you know, she all slams down a champagne flute, but they only did it twice, unfortunately. She has one Avengers point, um, this is her last saint, uh, elsewhere she's been in Danger Man, The Adventurer, now, the evil baddie is, of course, George Marcel. I'd imagine, Guy, you um, remember it best as Needle, um, a villain in the Avengers, where his hideout really is a haystack, isn't it? Yes, it's one of those puns that you just kind of wait for that punchline. <laughs> um, it's, it's an elaborate setup. He's usually a sinister villain, though not always. I think he's in a Brandlin Hopkirk where he actually is a rather eccentric millionaire, if I remember he's rightly. He's in the Champions, isn't he, where he plays um, El Cordillo, the Iron Man, isn't he, where um, the champions are assigned to be his household staff. He's good value in that. Um, he's back in The Saint in colour twice as the same evil mastermind. 
and I think possibly the only recurring evil mastermind. He appeared in all the regular ITC series and provided voices in 26 episodes of Jerry Anderson's Supercar. There you go, and um, still working on until the 90s, because I think he's in Ian Cutthroat Island with Gina Davis. That is not one that I have seen. <laughs> and you know what? I would keep it like that. It didn't do great things for Gina Davis's marriage, I don't think, that film. No. But moving on, Gerald Hines, Four Saints, brackets, one uncredited. A total of 100 credits in which, unsurprisingly, he played a lot of Germans. Peter Illing, Austrian, is the second of Three Saints uh, and a few other ITC appearances plus a Maigret. Ed Bishop, probably best known for starring in UFO with dyed blonde hair. I have watched all the episodes of UFO. And and we will be talking about them and the multiple timelines that fans have drawn up in order to try and explain what on earth was going on. This is Ed Bishop's third saint out of four. Um, he's in another colour one. Neville Becker, no points, but one Maigret. The best adam- adamant episode. Sweet Smell of Disaster and Three Danger Mans. Lawrence Herder, a Canadian. First of two saints, Vendetta, Troubleshooters, Champion House, The Buccaneers and Danger Man. Ricardo Montez, one point but seven saints. And in the credited but not forgotten list of honour, Roy Beck, Alan Chance. Yay! Austin Cooper. My favourite of the 60s card. Keith Denny, Aileen Lewis, Leonard Llewellyn, uh, John Lynn and Rosalind Mendelssohn. Now, if the saint bids diamonds and recovers diamonds in that episode, there are plenty of diamonds to be seen in The Spanish Cow. And if this premise doesn't seem familiar by now, it will do in the first episode of Series 5, but that's in colour, and we'll discuss about what we're going to do in about the colour episodes later on. Dave... Where are they and what on earth is going on? Now they're on their favourite um, location, the French Riviera, in which a saint is on a holiday, but he always ends up doing something on his holiday. And in this case, he comes to the aid of who appear to be two defenceless women, Donna Luisa Arroya and, and Consuela Flores. They begin to explain to him what the setup is, because it turns out that Donna Luisa is the wife of an alleged dictator, that they are part of a once influential family who are from a vague South American um, dictatorship, but they're now living in um, exile. Uh, And there is these famous diamonds, which everyone keeps talking about, the jewels. Um, And then it turns out that everyone wants to get their hand on these diamonds. Um, So this includes um, the untrustworthy Gary Raymond. There is um, Leonard Sachs um, playing the unlikely name um, Diego Ramirez, um, but chiefly yourselves, as he would say, um, at the end of the good old days. And also, just to round out um, all this dual caper, um, there is the actor Arnold Diamond, go figure, um, as our old friend, Colonel Latignan, who is out to, again, solve a case very untrustworthy of Simon Temple, but in all his adventures so far, the saints always done him right. It 
it's always been okay. I must admit the, the, the performance by Nancy Nevinson, maybe it was the way it was written, um, and maybe it was um, the way you know she might have auditioned in this, is a bit strident. I had to turn my TV down. But uh, again, Simon Tapper is able to do what he does best, which is steal diamonds. He's even got his um, jewel thief Cardi with him that uh, he's taken on holiday. So he must have known something was going to go on. But it turns out that there is a traitor in, and the big twist, of course, is who that traitor is. Yes, and who has worked the switcheroo? And what made you suspicious? Right from an early age, I've been able to tell the difference between a fake and the real thing. That includes jewellery. I knew we were carrying the real ones. You double-crossed Tanya Louisa and left her with the imitations. At any rate, it has been delightful knowing you. Sincerely hope you'll always feel that way. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I think that Simon was playing an extremely risky game with his own personal security because he had guessed that Inspector Latignot had bugged his car mm. and would be following him. But it could have ended very stickily for him had that not been the case or the battery on the bug had gone down. Or it fallen off or something like that. Yeah, anything could have happened. That's right, and he's saved by the treacherous girl who shoots the dictator's brother in the back when he's about to stab Simon, and so it's all smiles again. Mm, yeah, so that that's worked out all right. Yes, we've got safe action, we've got um, diamonds, switcheroos, keystone cops this time in the south of France, and... Great insult as well, in which someone um, says to one of the villains, "Scat, amigo," which is it's so sixties, it really is. <laughs> the Spanish Cow is a wonderful romp. I would have preferred the black and white series to have finished on that one, to be honest. It, it is explained, isn't it, the fact that what the Spanish Cow refers to, that the fact that even though it does sound like a terrible insult, it is uh, um, an affectionate term. I'm not so sure, particularly in the French, <laughs> la vache espagnole. It's meant to be someone who's very clumsy or lacking in... Social graces. Or, that's, uh, that's right. So, the French and snobbery, who'd have thought it? Who's in it? Gary Raymond, still going strong with 68 screen credits and half a point from the new Avengers. Oh, um, yes. It's those eyebrows that make him stand out. Um Plenty of appearances in ITC shows, also the Rat Patrol. Now, do you know what the Rat Patrol is, Dave? The Rat Patrol was a um, TV series set in North Africa in the 1960s. Uh, it featured, I think, Christopher George, um, maybe the Lantern George hero in, in that. Um, but um, despite its standard weekly action of driving around in jeeps and firing machine guns, it was one of those TV series that did cause a little bit of a furore in in the UK because it was outlined the fact that the Brits weren't that involved in the North African campaign. It was all the Yang. Yes, uh, people did and might still question its historical accuracy. <laughs> if our friend Andrew was here, um, he, he would get down to the nitty-gritty about their accuracy of tank portrayal. <laughs> yes, I suspect that... Um, there are a lot of people who would be extraordinarily upset about tanks. But SES Rogue Heroes, or whatever it's called, has also run into controversy about tanks. 
I think when, you know, once you come to, to scripting, you know, if you can't get your tanks right in your first draft of your script, you know, just leave it, let it be. <laughs> Move on to a tank-free script. I suppose you've got um, jeeps and half-tracks and, and stuff like that. Um, anyway, Gary Raymond's career highlights, Jason and the Argonauts, but not, I fear, his appearance in the Omega Factor. He prefers the stage and has often acted with his wife, Delina Kidd, and who has won Studio Avengers Point. Yeah. Vivian Ventura, more to her life than acting, according to IMDb, but uh, Justice One Saint, and she was also in The Man From Uncle, Get Smart, The Wild Wild West, I Spy, Vendetta, and Doomwatch. Nancy Neverson, no scenery left unchewed, as you say. Um, 102 credits, uh, but just this saint elsewhere, Adam Adamant, Compaq, Moonstrike, The Newcomers, UFO. I didn't remember seeing her in that. Um, and The Fen Street Gang. Leonard Sachs, 143 credits, including pretty much everything except The Avengers. Where would we have seen him most? As Master of Ceremonies in the good old days. Michael Wynn. One point in the very, very creepy house that Jack built with its stark, surreal, psychedelic set design. Elsewhere, single play, uh, The Champions, Gideon's Way, Virgin of the Secret Service, Public Eye, Three Saints, Ace of Wands and New Scotland Yard. 92 credits, the last of which was Doc Martin in 2007. Crikey, there you go. I know, hard to believe Doc Martin's been going that long. Though, on ITV3 last night, I noticed that uh, there was the 100th episode of Midsummer Murders. I thought, and apparently part of it's set in Denmark. Well, having just come back from there, we decided to watch it. Then realised that a husband who is poisoned and whose widow gets it on with his brother and a moody son makes it more Danish than you might think. They do seem to shoot in location. We put it on record because I just thought, I'm going to spin through this to see what happens. <laughs> Most <laughs> of it's... Um, on holiday too. Once you realise it's Hamlet, then you sort of think, oh, is it going to be the brother and is it going to turn out to be one of those midsummer bloodbaths? Oh, um, is someone going to get killed behind the arras? Uh, that's right. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Sanjay Bhaskar who got killed behind the arras, <laughs> but you never know. So there you go. That's a digression on to um, modern day television. Henchman David Jackson, probably best known as Gan in Blake Seven, uh, last seen as Husky undergraduate in The Saint Steps In. Uh, Nicholas Donnelly, the first of two saints, he's best known for being Mr. McKenzie in 97 episodes of Grange Hill. Terry York, Three Avengers Points, 13 episodes of Robin Hood. He was also in The Invisible Man, The Prisoner, Man in a Suitcase, Department of The Persuaders, and The Sweeney. A fair bit of stunt work, it has to be said. And elsewhere in the uncredited zone, Arthur Goodman, Austin Cooper, and Ken Lawton. So, yes, jewels and switcheroos again. And we come to the last episode of the Black and White Saints. And it's called The Old Treasure Story. Personally, I would have called it The Old Rope Story. <laughs> um, I was expecting, because I 
because they must have known at this point that it was the end of the season. You know, short, um, I think you said before that it was a little bit shorter than the others. It's only nine episodes. And maybe because they were gearing themselves up for knowing that they were going to go colour and they might be able to do a little bit more location shooting, have a little bit more budget. Um, so I sort of expected a big end of season treat. You know, it's like bringing your games in on the last day of school before, before you break up for your whole... And we've got the additional fun of, of Roger Moore directing this episode as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I sort of expected a little bit more. Yes. Uh, I mean, the thing about Roger is he obviously felt that he'd done so well using those cave sets in The Man Who Wouldn't Die. Let's have another go. We've got Desert Boots again as climbing footwear. But um, once again, the Saint checks into a Cornish pub to see you, Dave. Uh, well, it's actually an old friend of him. You know, I've been saving this up special to drink to the health of an old friend, Simon Templer. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> we know that sometimes old friends fall into to, uh, um, different categories. It's either someone who, um, at the end of the episode, is, is an old dead friend, um, it, they, or they turn out to be an old um, betraying friend, or if they're fitting into that slightly narrower group, they manage to survive just about. Um, anyway, it's our old chum, character actor Reg Lai, who we've seen before in some episodes, and he plays Captain Bill Williams, and he has written a book which outlines this mystic treasure, and that's a treasure map which has been divided up into three parts. Um, which he swears is true. Simon is a little bit sceptical about this, and so too is the nice blonde lady. The kind of adopted daughter of yes, Captain yes. Bill Williams. Now, Captain Williams is scared of something, which means he's a frightened innkeeper. So it's not the first time the Saint has had a fight in a Cornish pub. No, uh, it's not the first time we've seen frightened innkeepers. It's not the first time we've seen people turning up and acting menacingly. In this case, Jim Reston, who turns up, my car's broken down. As soon as he says those words, you know he's lying. Yes, um, he's, I mean, he's very quietly menacing in the Peter Vaughan mould, I would say, <laughs> um, but an American. Now, obviously, Roger wants to know what's going on, but Reg Lai says... Simon, I don't want to talk tonight. I, I just want to go to bed and think things over. Yeah, he says, yeah, It's in the Virgin um, Islands, apparently. Yeah. Once they've got to their, their destination, then it all began to get a little bit suspect. It's a very reckless dynamiting. 
Um, there's almost some Indiana Jones type booby traps as well that they fall into once they're inside the cave. On, on kind of things that may have inspired or certainly were in part of a tradition, if you have an American movie producer and a blonde ingenue being taken to a remote tropical island, don't you feel it's beholden on the producers to have a giant ape? <laughs> Should do, yeah. Should really have a, a, a giant ape going on there. But in this case, um, no, but there is some more double dealing. Uh, Maria, who is one of the other like, treasure hunters, she acts a bit reckless. Um, and she knows nothing about proper cave safety. And eventually it is revealed that, hey, wait a minute, there really is a treasure. Look at it, it's in a big chair. Which does always raise the question of what is the use of buried treasure? Because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't generate you any interest, you know, if you, if you just leave it buried in a, in a big island somewhere. And it's not easy to make a withdrawal, is it? No, no. You, you just think, oh, you know what, I've got my buried treasure now. Uh, you're living a life of a pirate on the run, but presumably from the British and Spanish government. And you, you just think, well, I've, I'm not enjoying my, my retirement. I'm not enjoying my um, my ill-gotten gain. But I know they're sitting safe somewhere on an island. And thankfully, I'm the only one who knows where it is. But once I go, no one will know where it is. So I'm not quite sure buried treasure is a financially sound concept. No, no. And... Um... As you might expect, there's a sword fight over a chasm. Yes, there is, yes. If you excuse me, Miss Kernow, Mr Abercrombie, I have to remove Mr Dark's head from his body. I'd watch your footing there, Bellhaven. Jack's hole! I found the entrance. Thanks to your fighting, Mr Dark, we've been forced into this unexplored cave. How opportune. Perhaps as reward, I won't kill you so slowly. Any last words? Rotting timbers? Ah, ah, ah. Oh, sorry, that was the wrong clip. Here's the Saints version. <laughs> Blackbeard's treasure. I knew it. I knew it. All that work, all that effort, it, it's, it's paid off. You know, Mr. Templar, there's an old adage about the uh, man who laughs last. Shall I kill him? No, no, don't shoot him. I prefer Blackbeard's methods. Tom, kill the girl if he tries any monkey business. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look like there's a lot of choice to go drinking in that town. 
No, maybe it becomes a community asset. It's all smiles again. Um, the treasure, uh, the bulk of it, though lost, April has managed to snaffle a ring, but mm -hmm. gives it away to uh, Maria, who I would suspect might not turn out to be as faithful um, <laughs> to her uh, American uh, film producer boyfriend. Uh, they seem to have a what might be described as a stormy, volatile relationship. Yeah, because um, she, you know, they're um, not endowed now with, with all these treasury riches. Uh, and, and maybe she was only hanging around because of the likelihood of these treasury riches. And now because she's just been given this cheap June jaw of a ring, um, you know, it might be a case of, well, I'm, I'm off. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heading for better pastures. It could be, um, but April having done the generous thing, thinking that there is no money at all, instead of a switcheroo, the saint has also palmed some jewellery. Blackbeard had the last laugh after all. You think so? Simon! It's right, you can take them, they're not booby trapped. It turns out to be a very showy sort of necklace, which is presumably worth a lot and probably would refurbish the pub. Yeah, get all that um, furniture replaced. Uh, I would hope and possibly allow them to do, I don't know, like cotton chips in a basket or stuff like that. Yeah, yes, I do have issues with that story, but I'd have to take it up with Leslie Charteris. <laughs> and Roger's direction was what you might expect from such a nonsensical thing. Yes, it was very much the sort of thing you might expect from um, children's tea time television, apart from the shooting and the stabbing. Um, yes, yeah, apart from the nastiness. Yes. Yeah. yeah, a bit of a damp squib ending to the old black and white saints, which is a shame, but there's uh, the next colour one, which isn't from a Leslie Charteris story, but draws on a lot of tropes anything from the golden journey to the St. Bid's Diamonds, etc. But who's in this one? Jack Headley. A, a pillar of TV and film, probably best remembered as the British CO of the Prisoners of War in Colditz, uh, a series which you could argue was the swan song of golden age TV in the UK, uh, running from 1972 to 1974. His military bearing was natural. He was a Marine commando for eight years. Oh, just, right. okay. wow. ju just after World War Two, and he saw a bit of action. But he wasn't a stranger to leading roles on TV. He was the eponymous engineer drawn into espionage in Francis Durbridge's The World of Tim Fraser from 1960. Oh, right. There were 18 episodes covering three adventures, and from all the regulars who were in it, it would be worth watching, wouldn't it, Dave? Except... Oh, no, I think you would. I know what you're going to tell us. Only two episodes are known to survive. Anyway, he had 99 credits and lived to the age of 92. We salute you, sir. Um, and Jack Headley, nice little round-off, um, because um, although they don't share a scene, it is in the Roger Moore Bond film, For Your Eyes Only. Oh, yes. Obviously, didn't blot his copybook in this one. Erica Rogers, fourth and final appearance in The Saint. Uh, she previously played the mercenary ex-girlfriend in The Pearls of Peace and the spoilt fiancé of Simon's best friend in The Taming of the Shrew Tale, The Golden Journey. 
she played someone nice in leader and so got their screen time as here but at least in this one she does get to scream a bit yes and there's plenty to scream about there's all kinds of dangers in those caves yes booby traps skeletons sheer precipitous drops and henchmen reg lie born in sydney uh, he's been in Budgie, Ace of Wands, Randlin Hopkirk, The Champions, Dr. Finley, Adam Adamant, Jason King, and it's the last of his three saints. Frank Wolf, one appearance in The Twilight Zone, This Saint, and Two Barons. But he made a huge career in Italy, mainly out of spaghetti westerns. Jill Curzon, 26 episodes of Hugh and I, appearances in the world of Wooster, Adam Adamant, and The Champions, and four episodes of Quick Before They Catch Us. Any ideas, Dave? Uh, oh, right. OK, I think that is about uh, a desperate group of individuals who are all being taken to their court appearances at the local Crown Court. But there is an accident, the van crashes, um, and they are given them the opportunity to escape. Um, not only escape, but go on the run to prove I'd watch that. I think it's got more legs than a bunch of teenagers trying to solve mysteries. Have they is... got a talking dog? A cowardly yeah. one at that? No, that would have actually probably made it more of a success. But uh, it did give work to a whole host of regulars. Robert Hutton, American, last seen in The Contract. Elsewhere, Man in His Suitcase, The Persuaders, probably best known for his big screen ventures, The Slime People, and they came from beyond space. We haven't seen Roy Patrick since the Latin Touch in Series 1. A New Zealander, he has one Avengers point in the magnificently silly winged Avenger, and elsewhere, two Magrays, Vendetta, the Troubleshooters, and Jason King. In the uncredited sailors, number one, Joby Blanchard from Beverly in Yorkshire. This is his second saint, but he has one Avengers point, the man-eater of Surrey Green. Uh, elsewhere, Adam Adamant, Moonstrike, The Newcomers, The Troubleshooters, Clough, Gideon's Way, Randlin Hopkirk. But his most prominent TV role was as Colin Bradley in 32 episodes of Doomwatch. All right, OK. Well done, Joby. Yeah. Um, Recognise him from his eyebrows, etc. Timmy Gardner, second sailor. Uh, George Laudell, third sailor. And fourth, with 176 uncredited credits, Walter Henry, 15 saints and nearly everything else, including his two half points for the new Avengers. Ronald Duncan was responsible for the adaptation. Um, do you know what big screen script he was about to embark on? Um, let's have a look, Robert. Robert Duncan, Robert Duncan. Um, all right, I don't. I don't, uh, I don't know what he made. Oh, wait a minute. No, look. Um, because I've, I've got my screen live here in front of me. Um, it's not Girl on a Motorcycle, is it? Indeed it is. The alternative title, I understand, was Naked Under Leather. Who were Mrs. But who directed that? Uh, oh, what? Girl on a Motorcycle? Yes. Um, all right, OK, so we're in our 60s. Is it ace British cinematographer? Um, Jack Cardiff. Indeed it is. So it's beautifully photographed nonsense. <laughs> he was always able to do that. Right, so that wraps up the Black and White Saints. 
they have served us very well uh, yeah, yeah. so far in uh, this podcast. What would be your top three, do you think, Dave? Well, you know what? Um, I might have to go back over um, uh, my, my extensive record cards um, that I've, I've collected. Um, and I've been, I've been jotting down my notes. I've been watching them. Um, I'm small on talking pictures. So, yeah, I might have to, to, to reappraise that. But I think what's been been interesting is is that we you know we've seen sort of um, a series mature and and get used to itself you know to to begin with there there were those ones which were almost like faint light um, you know that, that Simon would barely um, have a look in in say like up until the first ad break um, mainly because the story was being set up but what refreshing is the, the series has, has got used to itself um, it's realised wait a minute let's put him front and centre yeah um, I think one of the things that you work out about the saint and particularly when um, you read some of the stories and you look for character consistency well we know the saint hates blackmail the worst of oh, all yeah, times oh, can't, can't abide it but really he has uh, a very wide skill set and I would describe him not as a superhero, but actually more of a Swiss army knife. He's perfectly he suited for every um, eventuality the plot might throw up. Yeah, he has all those little bits of um, historic knowledge. Um, who knew that pearls can be um, dissolved in um, heated red wine? Go figure. Yes. No, well, that's at all. I would say, who um, knew? Terry Nation. That's who. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen his driving skills, um, we've seen his shooting skills, we've seen his um, adaptability um, because of his accent and his disguises. We've almost come to get to know Sebastian Toombs um, as like a co-lead um, in a way for, for the series because that's kind of like a recurring character. We've seen the, the forces of law and order you know, turn up in, in various guises, like I said, we've seen those on a, uh, on a regular way. And, um, and despite the fact that he is the notorious Simon Templar, uh, um, he does seem to have a good working relationship with them, with law enforcement. Yes, except then when they um, are very suspicious of him. Usually in North America, it has to be said, the French are remarkably tolerant, though they will nab him if he crosses the line. And... Chief Inspector Claude Eustace Teal seems to have a very ambiguous relationship with Simon Tantler. Yes. Roger Moore's not exactly square-jawed, but uh, in other circumstances he would be a square-jawed hero um, who um, shoots from the hip and... Leads with his fists. Leads with his fists. On the whole, a great romp. I can't think of anyone else from that period who could have played the saint apart from Roger Moore and I, I do think that is uh, despite him having taken over as James Bond I can't think of a series that um, suited him better uh, admittedly the persuaders is uh, is quite plays to, what you do is you play to your strength yeah you play to your strength um, it allowed him to to build on you know the stardom he didn't he'd enjoyed on earlier series um, it is I think you said it, it's the ITC's longest running series uh, so we've 
got that. We've seen someone who got very comfortable with a role, and more importantly, never got bored with a role. No, I think probably he called time just at the right moment. Mm. And then he made a couple of movies um, before doing The Persuaders and then taking over as James Bond. It has to be said, I think he was a bit long in the tooth at that time. If he'd moved straight from The Saint to James Bond, it uh, might have been more interesting. Would he have done On Her Majesty's Secret Service? I think it would have clashed with the final series of The Saint and The Man Who Haunted Himself, really. And don't forget, you know, Man Who Haunted Himself, um, a lot of people rate that as, as probably his best performance, and, and it's a backing film as well. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, indeed. And um, the thing about Roger Moore is, and he was so self-deprecating, was that actually he was a very good actor. But because he was a star, stars don't necessarily get the chance or the roles to show that they're such good actors. Yeah, there is that. There is that shame sometimes, you know. To you know, and, and if sometimes people are in a you know a narrow range of of casting, uh, you know, we, we just assume that oh, that's that's what they do. Um, but it, it takes a certain amount of skill you know, to be able to to do that, to have that concentration. You know, if you've got someone like John Wayne, you know, John Wayne's never going to to appear in Tartuffe. Um, you know, it. It's that idea of another John Wayne film, but to have that, um, to bring something new um, to a role which, or a type of role which they've been playing, you know, for for a number of years, I think is always is always commendable. Yeah, I mean, to be that much of a fixture in the sixties schedules. I mean, they. I'm slightly puzzled why ITC didn't try and make series that lasted more than one season, uh, to be honest. They never seemed to, and you had people like Man in a Suitcase and The Baron, very similar sorts of, uh, of course, you know, The Avengers and The Danger Man, I suppose, was. The... Danger Man, yeah, but most of this, like you said, The Adventurer. Yeah. Um, you know, Randall and Hopkirk, Strange Report. Randall and Hopkirk and The Strange Report were um, it was mooted that there would be second series, but Randall and Hopkirk was meant to be even more Joey, humorous uh, and slapstick than uh, the first series. But the strange report, I think they wanted to export it to California. Um, oh, okay. And Anthony Quayle said, no, I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> Don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose like the champions as well, you know, about <laughs> how, um, you know, that know kind of like ran its you know ran its course i guess maybe one of the things is is about you know the viewing public always knew that if if one series ends um because there is the great big itc factory um there's going to be another one which is a bit like it coming along in a bit uh, and i'll be able to watch that and it won't take me long to settle into it uh, and um, yeah, I'll just be able to you know, pick it up and run with it. Mm. Um, and I sometimes wonder whether that lack of longevity was that um, Lou Grade, who is the patron saint of uh, kind of adventure uh, entertainment, whether he just, to his great credit, allowed people to get on with things, but um, 
quite often that didn't mean saying you know what can we have a bit of character consistency can we get people to care about some of the characters because that might give a series legs and it didn't happen with UFO because I've got no idea why we needed to care about any of them <laughs> Space 1999 had two series and that kind of went mm. through uh, evolution almost like different series um, from, from season one to season two yes with, with aliens um, and so much more like Star Trek Space 1999 um, yes as we know the exigencies of production and availability and money above all money affect the storyline so in an ideal world story and character would take precedence however it doesn't pay the bills so necessarily but uh, black and white 60s television uh, wouldn't be the same without the saint and we salute everyone involved with it. Yeah, and, and I, I, I know you said, you know, where, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Um, in fact, you sent me a text message saying, where do we go from here? Uh, and um, maybe, you know, to, to like you said, you've got, you've got Legend and you've got ITV4 and you've got um, Talking Pictures TV, which are sort of reminding us um, of, these, of these series. Um, by screening them um, and the thing is we have to remember is that they are um, I suppose the great grandfathers, great grandmothers of the series that we're, we're seeing nowadays Do you think there's any equivalent on the box right now um, on not subscription television but on broadcast television that um, bears any relation to these? It's I mean, the, the idea of um, certainly the lone individual who, who may have a bit of a shady past, who gets mixed up in, in all kinds of things. I suppose if we look at the TV series based on the, um, as it turns out, J.K. Rowling book, um, Strike, you know, call it Strike, mm. where it's, it's someone with a bit of a shady background, um, they usually do the right thing. And, and all we really have nowadays to you kind of like added to it um, is, is, you know, perhaps a bit more bad language, a bit more violence. But, but that idea of, of having someone who, who at the moral core um, is, is doing the right thing, even if sometimes the right thing that they're doing is a bit of a nasty job. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously detective series never end so uh, we see quite a few of those um, there's medical series um, series involving pathologists and cold cases but I think there's something missing which would have the same kind of sense of style of the Avengers or the Saint or a couple of other series yeah I mean, I mean one of the things we have to look at is you know is, is sometimes cost Sometimes that's why, um, as good as they may be, sometimes anthology series can be, you know, quite costly. Uh, if we look at, suppose, Inside Number Nine, that's mm. the best example of a running anthology series that we've got um, at the moment. But at least with that, you do have, you know, the same two central actors um, and, and writers um, you know, performing in that. Um, but the idea of, of either an anthology series or a hero 
hero-led series um, where, I mean, with, with the Saints, um, we, we get asked, oh, what precinct is it set in? It's set in the world. Whereas, more often than not nowadays, there is, there is more a specific um, locale. And sometimes that may come from inheriting the original novels on which they were based. So, you know, if you look at DCI Banks or if you look at the novels of Peter James, I think, Dick John Sim, who's in those, and that's very specifically set in Brighton. Um, and the idea is that, right, we're going to specifically set this in this town, city, um, and we're really going to kind of like soak up the atmosphere um, for it. Uh, and it almost becomes like another another character running alongside. Um, so, yeah, the idea of, of a globe-trotting adventurer might, you know, might look a little bit costly because nowadays, you know, despite the advent of green screen uh, and stuff like that, we may be a little bit more unaccepting of um, backlot action. I think people will probably demand more from their stock footage these mm, days. Yes, yes. Um, Right, so that's just a, a general philosophical point about uh, 60s television. We will have a look at various things. Um, we've barely mentioned westerns. Yeah, yeah, like I said, you know, that idea of looking at money for old tropes, um, the, the, the notion of looking at how, how some series kind of fall out of favour. Maybe it's kind of interesting that at the moment, there seems to be a little bit of a mini Western revival, um, what we Yellowstone, mm. um, and, uh, and and other kind of like Western series because of the originally Western series were very much um, white hats, black hats, uh, and then they went through through a period of a little bit more thoughtfulness or a little bit more family friendly. That you have like Little House on the Prairie or um, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. Um, and perhaps, you know, eschewing the the um, aspect of, of more gunplay, um, but maybe it's kind of like returns return back to that. Now. I don't know. Yes, with presumably more sensitivities to the historical and cultural yes, uh, yes. aspects. Yes, we can discuss uh, westerns. We can have a look a bit more uh, more at science fiction. Um, there's various things that we could do, including um, looking at the Scottish-based thriller, um, oh, right, yeah. which BBC yeah. Scotland seem to churn out on a, a regular basis, um, and dying its death with the Omega factor. Right, so we will explore all sorts of opportunities in our next episode, not to mention series that have been lost, could be revived, or could be improved upon by David Newell. Yes, we could do. We could do that as a quiz. We could uh, have um, three series. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, one of these is a genuine series which did unspool during the sixties um, and seventies. Um, um, two of them we might have made up, or we could do it the other way around. Yes, I mean, who's to know? And, uh, of course, if anyone wants to get in touch with us about uh, original ideas, uh, they are welcome, um, and we'll get our people to talk to their people. Thank you for sterling work, despite the technical hitches. We will be back with a better technical solution. But, um, 
this has ended our review of the black and white saints starring roger moore on rose tinted black and white television i'm guy morgan my co-host has been david newell and we will return with a bag full of new things i thank you thank you and good night